nice little 70s groove on right there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Taboo. This is part one of this new series that we're talking about questions. Anybody ever had a question for God? Anybody Anybody ever just thought to yourself, man, I, I just, I'm telling you, I got, if I ever see him, I'm going to ask him, right? Well, we're taking the month of March, and we're talking about questions, and we're going to touch those subjects that oftentimes in our culture and often in the church world are taboo. How many know that the right question at the right time can change your life? Like if Bernie Madoff asks you, do you want to invest with me? Okay, that question could change your life. You answer that question wrong, you're in trouble. Here's one for you. Honey, what do you think about having more kids? That'll change your life right there. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, some of the guys right now are going, amen, brother, amen, promo, preach it. I'm just saying, here's one. If your boyfriend asks you, will you marry me? That question will change your life forever, won't it? Well, in the month of March, we're talking about questions. And see, here's the reality. Some of us have come from religious systems in our past where we're questioning God, we're asking questions of God, was looked down upon. It, you know, some, some of us have come from past where people say to us, you know what, in so many words, as long as you don't think a thought that I don't give you, we'll be fine. Well, we want you to know here at Next Level Church, that is not our perspective, that is not our philosophy, and here's the reason why. Because we believe that Jesus is into our questions. Matter of fact, we're going to find out as we go through this series, Jesus loved questions. Jesus often used questions to stretch our faith. He often used questions to, to expand us, to get us to, 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 to go beyond what we're normally thinking or, or what are our preconceived notions of who God is or, or what God is. He, Jesus used questions to stretch our faith. And he used them not only with people at large, but he used them with his followers, his disciples as well. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20 today, because as we introduce this, uh, this series of taboo, this, this idea of questions, I want us to look at a story together of, of one of the disciples who was a skeptic, who had questions. And, and here's a guy named Thomas, Doubting Thomas. This is, we're going to look at where the, the term Doubting Thomas comes from today. Because in John chapter 20, here's Thomas, who spent uh, his entire life, he's given up all three years of, of, of the last three years of his life to serve Jesus. He's abandoned career, he's abandoned family, he's been, abandoned everything to be a part, to follow this Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, who was different than all of the other teachers, all of the other rabbis. And here's Thomas. When they get to the moment that is most important, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, he's buried in the tomb, and on the third day he's resurrected. Shows up to them, and he comes through, and he's just like surprise. 
It's me. I rose from the dead. I told you four times I would. You didn't believe me. Here I am. And he shows up. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. So these guys have this power encounter with Jesus face-to-face, post-resurrection. Again, one of the most significant events in the history of the world, the most significant. And Thomas is not there. Notice, first of all, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, Thomas' experience wasn't like the other kids. It wasn't like the other disciples. Don't you wish you could ask Thomas, where were you? Dude, seriously, seriously, he rose. This is the biggest event. This is like bigger than the Super Bowl. This is bigger than the American Idol finale. Jesus rose from the dead, Tommy. And you're at 7-Eleven buying candy bars? Bro, what are you thinking? What are you doing? But nonetheless, Thomas's experience wasn't like all of the other guys. He missed it. He missed it. For whatever reason, and we don't know why. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus shows up, makes himself real, breathes the Holy Spirit on the, on the followers, on the disciples. And Thomas missed it. Verse 25, look at this. So the other disciples told him, good news, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Good news, bro, guess what? It's okay that you missed it, should have been there. We realized that. You were getting taquitos down at 7-Eleven. We're not going to hold that against you. Everybody, we're just going to work through this because good news, we saw him. We saw the Lord, whoa, a few years ago. Uh, our offices were in our old location off of 41. And in our complex, Ben and Jerry's was right downstairs. And one day, and I don't even know how it happened, but we got news. Somebody called or something, somebody came by. And we got news that Ben and Jerry's all day long was giving away free ice cream. Oh, yes, we did. I'm telling you, you guys, we canceled appointments. We, we moved the schedules. We locked the door. No lie. We went door to door, running up and down the businesses of our complex going, free ice cream, free ice cream, free ice cream. They're like, get out, get out. We're like, we are. We're going to Ben and Jerry. Guys, I was so full. I could not eat another ice cream, but I did. You know why? Free ice cream. When Ben and Jerry says free ice cream, you do whatever it takes to tell everybody. Send out a mass email. Send out a mass voicemail. Do whatever you have to do to let everyone know free ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. Why? Because it's free ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. Well, that's what the disciples were dealing with. They're like, Jesus rose. Jesus rose. You were at 7-Eleven. Jesus rose. It's cool. We saw him. Look what Thomas says. Thomas is like, no can do. Check this out. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are, and put my hands into his side, I'm out. Thomas was skeptical. Even though the disciples were all fired up, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, our hopes have come true. He told us four times we didn't believe him, but it worked. He did it, he conquered death in the grave. And Thomas goes, no, no. He doesn't just kind of push back. He doesn't just kind of throw a little question and answer thing here. He doesn't just kind of be a little mildly skeptical. He's irreverent. Did you see what he said? Unless I put my fingers in the nail holes. Unless, no, you know what? Unless I put my hand in the side where the spear pierced his side. No. I'm done. See, Thomas had given up everything to follow Jesus. Thomas had 
Thomas had given up family. He had given up career. He had given up everything to serve this, this Jesus, this Jesus who said he was different, this Jesus who said he wasn't like the other rabbis, this Jesus who said, you know what, you can follow me because my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, this Jesus who was different. And there's Thomas watching in a matter of a few days everything they had worked for for three years come to a complete stop. And he had questions. And see, some of us feel the same way. Some of us are looking across the last year to three years of our life, and we, so many of us have watched 401Ks disappear. We've watched pensions go away. We've watched homes that we've paid on for decades get repoed and taken back to the bank. We have watched not just loss of jobs. Some of us have lost careers. Is it any wonder that so many of us have questions for God? See, I think a lot of us can relate to where Thomas found himself. A lot of us can relate to where he was. It's not so easy. There's no easy answers here. I don't just want to hear, hey, he rose, yippee-dee, look at that, free ice cream. No, no. Unless I can put my hand in his side and my finger in the nail hole, I will not believe. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Check this out. For an entire week, Thomas doubted. I I, I don't know about you, but here's what I'm thinking. That is like the most awkward week of someone's life. Remember. The other ten disciples saw Jesus resurrected, the most significant event in the history of the world. They they were there. They saw him. He came through the wall. They're like, what up? They're having this huge, and, and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And for a week, they're following up with all that. They're like, whoa, do you remember? He came through the wall, and he showed himself. He was like, peace be with you. We're like, what up? Oh, sorry, Thomas. Yeah, 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 we totally know you weren't there, but. And then do you remember when he breathed the Holy Spirit on? Right, right. And there stands Thomas in the corner against the wall going, must be nice. Must be nice to know God like that. Must be nice to have experienced Jesus like that. Must be nice. And there he stands. He didn't leave. He didn't leave the community of believers. He, he didn't push back away from them. But it says for an entire week, all of the disciples had had this movement. All of the disciples have had this experience with the Lord. And Thomas is just standing there against the wall going, I don't buy it. I got questions. So check this out. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Look at this. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, here's the thing. In the paragraph before this, when he appeared to them a week before, the first time, that's the very same greeting. That when he shows up, he's like, everybody relax. It's just me. Peace be with you. That's what that means right there. And then, look at what he does right here. Look. Peace be with you. And then he says, verse 27, then he said to 
Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Re reach out your hand. Put it, put it in my side. And then he makes this statement to Thomas that absolutely changed his life. He said, stop doubting and believe. See, see, listen, here's the fourth thing I want us to note. Jesus will speak to the point of our doubt. If we come in today and we've got questions, if we're intrigued by this taboo series and we're going, do they really mean it? Are they really going to not be offended by my question? Is, is it true that no question is off limits? My answer to you this morning would be yes. And here's the reason why. Because we believe in a God who is big enough to speak directly to our doubts. Jesus didn't condemn Thomas for having questions or for doubting. He understood that his experience wasn't the same. And Jesus didn't even say, well, you know, if you wouldn't have been at 7-Eleven. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't condemn him. Instead, what does he do? He says to him, he speaks right to the knee. He says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Give me your finger. Give me your finger. Let me show you the nail hole. Give, you know what? Give me your hand. Look right here at my side which is exactly what Thomas said, isn't it? Jesus spoke directly to his question. He spoke directly to his doubt. And then he makes this statement, and this is so huge. Look at what he says. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, I've proved myself to you. Now, stop doubting and believe. See, we got to understand that questions are cool, that Jesus is okay with our questions, that Jesus is not intimidated by the questions that you or I may have concerning the, the issues of our life or the, the things that we're struggling with. God is not intimidated by our questions, but here's what we have to understand. It is not God's desire that you and I live in a spirit of doubt long term. And notice what he says to him. Jesus does not say to Thomas, Thomas, Stop doubting and figure it out. He doesn't say, Thomas, stop doubting and get over it. He doesn't say, Thomas, stop doubting and suck it up. He doesn't even say, Thomas, stop doubting and understand. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. See, questions have the power to do two things in our life, and we're going to discover this during the month of March as we go through this series. First of all, questions have the power to help us grow. And that's the kind of questions that God loves. Are, are those questions that, that help us to grow. Those questions that push us toward God. Those questions that stretch our faith. But there's a danger involved in questions. And here's what it is. See, the problem with our questions so often is that not only can they help us grow, but if we're not careful, our questions can actually become a distraction to our faith. And so as much as we've got to understand that God is cool with our questions, that Jesus doesn't mind us bringing him the tough stuff, we've also got to understand that if we start to live in this place of doubt, if we start to live in this place of skepticism long term, that it has the power to become a distraction in our life. And see, Jesus looked right at Thomas and he said, Thomas, listen, it's been a long week, hasn't it, brother? You've been standing against the wall while everybody else is just connecting with me and connecting to each other, and you felt like the guy whose experience wasn't like everybody else. But I'm here to prove myself to you and let you know I'm real. And it's time to put this season of question, this season of doubt behind you, and go forward with a stronger faith than you've ever 
Check out Thomas's response, verse 28. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now, here's the thing. You and I lose the power of this statement because our culture has abused these two terms. My Lord. Oh, my God, right? We live in a culture where these two phrases, my Lord and my God, are just thrown around flippantly. But in this culture, we have to understand, Thomas wasn't just going, well, my Lord. That's not what he was doing. Thomas was making a declaration of his love and devotion back to Jesus. See, the end result was increased greater love and devotion to the Savior. And he looks at Jesus, who looks at him and says, Thomas, I am trustworthy. You can trust me. You can bring your questions. You can bring your doubts. I am secure enough in all of that. And I will make myself real to you in a very intimate and personal way, just like you need me to. But now it's time to stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's only response was to look Jesus face to face and say, You are my Lord. You are my God. Jesus, I'm sorry and I am back. I am all in. I am full on. Let's go forward. See, here's the thing. The end result, the final destination of our questions should never be confusion and frustration and anger. And if our questions, as we dig into this this month, and our questions lead us toward confusion or frustration or anger, I just want to go on record right now at the beginning of this series of saying this. Listen, that is not of God. That our questions to the Lord should not, should not lead us to a place where, we're, where we become hard-hearted, where it becomes a distraction. Our, our questions should lead us to a place where at the end of it we go, you know what, I may not understand it all. I may not have even heard the answer I wanted to hear. But okay. I'm more in love with Jesus now than I've ever been. That's the end goal of God. Are the questions that we ask in our lives. And see, that's our hope for this series. Our hope for this series is this. We... We hope that at the end of this, collectively, across our church, our faith will be stronger because we've been able to bring our questions to the Lord. That's why we're pumped about you emailing us the questions or texting us in your questions. And, because we, we think that this series has the ability to strengthen our faith. Now, let me just be honest with you. We're probably not going to be able to get to every question. And we're probably not going to be able to answer every question in an exhaustive way, although we're going to try. And let's be real honest, we're definitely not going to agree on every answer. But listen, here's the reality. You have the right to be wrong. <laughs> Just kidding. Here's our hope. In all, in all seriousness, there will be some things where we will agree to disagree, and guess what? It will be completely okay. But there will be other issues where we will say, you know what, we all got to be straight on this. We all got to make sure that we're, we, this is a non-negotiable according to Scripture. We got to lock this in. But as far as this stuff, eh. So we'll try and let you know when those moments are as we dig through this series. But our hope is that our questions will, will not just be, well, let's see if we can stump the pastors. Or, you know, be the answer men up here. Listen, we don't want to do that. 
Here's our heart. Our hope is that as, as questions are raised in your mind through this series, that you will go home, that you will dig deeper, that you will dig into it, that you will, that you will say, okay, I want to know for myself. I want to study this myself. I want to dig into this because, again, we believe that God is secure enough to trust us with our questions. There are going to be some questions, you guys, that we talk through in this series that we're not going to be able to answer, that the Bible just doesn't give us Enough information, and we're just going to have to wait till heaven before we fully understand it all. But I'll say this, we're going to try, and we'll try and relay as much information as we possibly can to you throughout this series. And as Pastor Scott mentioned a few minutes ago, at the end of each one of our messages, we want to do something a little different for this series, and and so uh, we're going to do some Q&A time. And starting next week, you guys will be able to text in your questions while I'm talking. That'll be fun. And, and so at any rate, we want to kind of warm that up a little bit. So Scott has been hanging out backstage uh, listening to this talk. And so I'm going to ask Scott to come out because we want to do a little bit of Q&A here as we, as we end our time together. And so uh, I guess it's good to see you. <laughs> a little nervous about this. It's all right. I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. Let me, let me get, a, get us started here today. And kind of going back with what the material you've been teaching with this morning. Um, the first question I have is, are you saying it's okay? We've got permission to say, Jesus, I question you? Absolutely. I, I don't think Jesus minds our questions. I, as I mentioned before, Jesus loves questions. Jesus used questions to stretch people's faith. Several times throughout the Gospels, we see in the teaching that, that Jesus, you know, he, he t- does this huge teaching to the masses, and then he kind of does this debrief session after the fact, and he kind of huddles up the disciples, and he's like, hey, hey guys, got any questions? And they're like, okay, what was that? You know, so, so I think, no, I think Jesus is wide open. He, he wants us to bring our questions in. Okay, but I know that, like, in this room, we've got people that have come from Catholic backgrounds, Presbyterian backgrounds, Methodist backgrounds, Charismatic backgrounds, um, non-denominational backgrounds, and the, I know that there are so many people in this room that have sat across a desk from a pastor or a priest, and we've had a question. Yeah. And we were honestly seeking answers. We wanted to see what did the Bible really say about this or, or what they really believe about this, and we got shut down. Yeah. We got felt like we were stupid. The question was stupid. It wasn't welcomed at all. And so you're saying, okay, it's all right for us to question Jesus, but, I mean, let's pull the church into this whole thing. Are we allowed to even question the church? Well, let me say this. For any of you who come from a background like that, and I do, uh, that whole, you know, as long as you don't think a thought we don't give you, we'll get along fine. And the minute you start thinking those thoughts, they, it's love you. Um, type of, you, you, some of you, you're like, you're, right now, you're, some of you are sitting there going, that's me, that's me, that's right. We could have the altar like, right well, that's why I'm here, because I, know. I just left that church. Exactly. Okay. So I, I guess I would say this. It, it comes down to security. Mm-hmm. I mean, when questions were brought to Jesus, we have to understand that he was an amazingly secure leader. Right. And so, so Jesus wasn't threatened by those questions. And if I'm guessing on so many of us, there was a good chance that where we were burned yeah. in our past, it, it was because of an insecure leader who, who, an insecure leader who thought that our questions, that the reason we were asking our questions is because we were trying to push away from our faith instead of using our questions to okay. pull us toward our faith. I, I'm tracking with you. So, and I think I know the answer to this, but the thought being of this, um, good questions versus bad questions. Are there, are there good questions to ask? Are there bad questions that we shouldn't ask? Right. I, I would say, I, th- I think it comes down to heart. Mm-hmm. That it, the bottom line is, uh, and, and you and I know doing what we do, there are, there are some people who want to question God who have 
you know, skeptics or doubts uh, against the Lord. And the only reason they have those questions, the only reason they're asking those questions is because they're trying to justify a lifestyle uh-huh. that doesn't please God. And so they're going, well, you know, you can't really prove it. And so I just, you know, I've got too many questions. And, and the, all they're trying to do is basically put up a wall so they right. can go live how they want to live. Right. So for me, I think it comes down to heart that, that it, we've got to check our motives in asking okay. those questions. You know, am I asking this because I'm trying to, to do my own thing and I want to live my own way? Or am I asking this because... I want to grow in my faith. I want to get closer to the Lord. I think those are the good questions. Those are the right questions. Okay, well, you've laid the foundation. You said it's okay for us to ask questions. It's okay to even ask questions of of Jesus, of the church. Um, I think if our motives are right, then, all right, we're good. So let's begin. I know we've had some questions come in already. Right. And um, we're going to get to so many of those later. But a theme of a good group of these questions has simply been this. In light of what's going on in the world today, in light of the fact of our government spending trillions of dollars every single day, in light of the fact that we know people uh, that have lost their jobs probably this past week, if not in the last couple weeks. We know people that have, our friends have moved out of the city, out of the state looking for work. Um, If not us, it's been someone that we know that has a house in foreclosure. We've lost a home. In light of all those circumstances, where in the world is God, and why doesn't he seem to be doing anything about this present circumstance? Good luck with that. that uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks to all of you for sending that in. Um, I, that's a great question. Here's, here's what I think I would say. Um, God is, first of all, God doesn't view life like we do. I think it's so easy for us in our humanness to, to basically be standing at the bottom of a mountain looking up. And, and so we view all of life and all of life circumstances through this, from this bottom-up perspective. God, on the other hand, is looking from a top-down perspective. And so, so God does not take a short-term view of our life like mm-hmm. we do so often. Right. That God is looking at the whole thing in its entirety. He's taking a long view of our life. And, and the reality is there are seasons mm-hmm. to our life. We all know this is true. I mean, there's, there's spring and summer. You know, every year we go through seasons. Well, the same is true in our life. And some of us can probably relate to this because there are seasons in our life that we'll go through that, that are our spring season. You know, yeah. the newlywed couple and things are, things are springing up and there's, there's new life and there's optimism. That's a spring season of our life. There are summer seasons, which is a season of harvest and, and a season where the sun is hot and, and it feels like everything is going good. And some of us can relate to that. We look at our life and we, we can track back and go, well, this is a season season of summer, you know, or a season of autumn where it feels like, and maybe some of us have said this, this, it just feels like this chapter of my life is closing. That's kind of an autumn type of season to our life. Well, the reality is there are winter seasons, spiritual winters in our life that every one of us will go through. And, and we got to understand that It's the spiritual winter seasons of our life that some of us are walking through right now. It is cold, and it is dark, and it is rainy and slushy and snowy, and it is, you feel confined, and you feel forgotten, and you feel abandoned, because it doesn't feel like summer. And some of us are walking through a spiritual winter right now. I I guess the first thing I would say is, this is just a season. And I think we have to try as hard as we can in the midst of everything that so many of us are dealing with to recognize that this is, this is a season 
and that spring will come again. Spring will come. But, but see, I think we have to also understand that God uses spiritual winter. God uses spiritual winter because, check this out, and every farmer can tell you this, winter kills what is unnecessary for the harvest in our life. Bugs and fruit grow at the same time. And again, any farmer can tell us that. Bugs and fruit grow at the same time. So once you harvest the fruit from a season, it is necessary to have a winter to kill the bugs before you plant for the next harvest. And God, here's what I I would think, and I know you've you've got more questions and I'm excited about those. Here's what I think. I I think that it's possible that some of us are walking through a spiritual winter right now because God wants to kill some things in our heart. That God wants to kill some pride issues. God wants to, to kill some, some arrogance issues, some self-reliance issues. Because, see, here's the thing. In summer, we can be casual. In summer, we can wear shorts and flip-flops and kind of just, you know, be free-flowing and carefree. And, and let's be honest, in the summer seasons of our life, we don't need God as much, do we? But, see, God will use a spiritual winner to call us to attention and say, okay, listen, you can't just be casual in your relationship with me anymore. You've got to draw near to me. I am the source of life, the source of heat for you during this season. Okay, I'm tracking with you, but let me have the follow-up question to where we started. Um, So many of us have been taught God is a good God, all good things come from God, and then all of a sudden we got this whole winter aspect of this is a very uncomfortable time. And then, you know, with that I'm saying... Are you saying that God has caused this winter? Has he caused all this junk to happen to a bunch of good people? No. Um, let me just be real clear about that, you guys. Did God cause this economic stuff? Did, no, I don't believe that. Um, but he allows it. And, and, and for whatever reason, I, I think we're in dangerous territory when we start blaming God saying, you cause, I, I think that's, that's dangerous. Sure. But we can be mature enough to say, okay, for whatever reason, God, you have allowed this winter season to come. And, and if I can just kind of throw in here, I, here's what I think. I think that it's in the spiritual winters of our life, you guys, that God proves to us that he's trustworthy. That we can trust him. Again, in the summer, we don't need to trust God because everything's going good. But it's in the spiritual winter when we feel abandoned, when we feel all alone, when we feel helpless, when we feel like our life is spinning completely out of control. Guys, it's in the spiritual winter that God proves to himself, you can trust me. So you're saying in this moment, in this moment right here, that there's people in this room that we barely made it here today because things are so hard. If, If you were Jesus and we were Thomas, what would Jesus say right now? I would say you can trust me. I think Jesus would say to each one of us listening today, my arms are big enough. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever it is that you're dealing with, maybe you've lost everything, including hope. Jesus would say to us today, guys, that he's big enough. He's inviting us right where we are, right where we're seated to climb up in his lap like the loving Abba Father that he is, the Daddy God and and that's how we want to conclude our time together this morning we want to just take a couple of minutes this morning 
and allow the presence of God to be here because he is here today and he's walking the aisles and he wants to touch us. God wants to prove to us today so many of us who are dealing with, with a spiritual winter that he's trustworthy. That even if we've lost finance, if we've lost houses, if we've lost our hopes and dreams, if, if, if we feel like everything else in our life is slipping away, Jesus would say to us today, I've not gone anywhere. I'm here. I'm right beside you. Yeah. And I invite you into my arms. So today, if you need God to prove to himself that he's trustworthy, we're just going to take a moment and the worship team's going to sing and Jennifer's going to sing over us. Would you just allow the Spirit of God today, the Spirit God that's walking this place to just draw you into his arms today to embrace you.